0: And then the 50th day, you count 50, and that's it. So simple. But this is the day we begin to count from. Well, I guess the sheep is actually waved on, uh, on Pentecost, but how am I confusing that? Anyway, it's the, it's the day you start during the Passover time. So we have this weekly Sabbath during Passover. And this is the fifth day of the seven days of Unleavened Bread. (coughs) We have tomorrow and then the Holy Day on Monday. Bible study tomorrow night at seven. Sabbath service on Monday at one o'clock. When you were a child... And as you grew older and into teenage, you began to have hopes and dreams and thoughts of the future at some point in life. And we think of the girls particularly dreaming of a knight in shining armor that will come and carry them away and they will live in bliss and peace and happiness and love forevermore. And a great number of people make a lot of money writing romantic novels that young people can read about the life that they hope to lead someday. Uh, there's a, they make movies about it, romance movies. What's that one that the, the whole, got the whole channel full of that kind of movies? I can't think of the name of it, something heritage. Uh, that uh, make a good living over telling love stories on TV and in the movies and so on. So we think of those things. We'd like to have a life like Camelot. There's one movie where the rain may not fall till after sundown and at 8 the morning fog must disappear and everything was beautiful in Camelot. And I've always thought, well, that's right, until the camels come through and then it becomes a camel lot (laughs) and you got manure everywhere. Something happens to camelot. And perhaps that movie about camelot was a takeoff on the Garden of Eden because, ah, everything was perfect. Eve had a perfect husband and Adam had a perfect wife. Everything about that first creation of man and woman, they had to have been tens, both of them, Uh, had to be the, the finest thing that the hand of God could craft in beauty and symmetry and loveliness in every way. And there was no squabble, there was no trouble, there was nothing there that could cause any ruckus whatsoever which means that their personalities were such that they didn't grate on each other, their voices were such that they didn't bother each other, they didn't have any habits that turned each other off. Everything was just perfect. Nothing could go wrong. And we think about those things and we have in our lives, all of us, experienced love and the closeness and the harmony and the wonderful feelings that come with loving and being loved and enjoying that feeling. And then we've all experienced the other. We've all experienced hate. Uh, Maybe not, well, maybe Real, outright, passionate hate, but even not liking or not feeling good toward or being a bit negative about or whatever is an element of hate Uh, as opposed to perfect peace. You have imperfect peace or the edge of trouble or trouble to whatever degree it is there. Which do you like the best? Do you like love and harmony and closeness and hugs and kisses? Or do you like feeling put off, unwanted, unneeded, insecure, misused, abused? And those feelings, positive feelings or negative feelings? Well, I think we'd all have to say we're, we're in on the good feelings. <laughs> we. We don't care for the the negative and the bad, but we've experienced both to one degree or another, and we have dreamed of having total love and total peace and harmony, because that's what the romantic novels portray. And there may be a little trouble finally getting to the point of love, but they all wind up with happily ever after once they reach that zenith of love and feeling. Now, that's not bad, is it? To have those dreams, have those desires, have those wants. And we go to First Corinthians 13, and we find in verse 13, he's been talking about love here and all the things you could have, but If you didn't have this element we've been talking about here, of total harmony and peace and love, then something's lacking. So at the end, he says, there abides faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, you didn't dream in that that sense of hope when you were young. You hoped you would find love, so there was hope in love itself. Uh, Faith, you like to have in your parents, you like to have in your dog and your cat. Uh, You like to have in God, if you were taught about God. Uh, Somewhat hard to come by, but love it seems, and abiding, continuing love, is the hardest thing to realize. You might have all these other things he mentions in this chapter, but love, and the kind of love that we hoped and dreamed of, is hard to come by. And even if it is somewhat achieved in a romantic flurry, it is hard to get it to continue forever and ever, is it not? So, love is something that we've all desired. It's something we all want. We want our children to say, I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. And we don't like it when they get 13 or 14 and it may go sour and they scream, I hate you! And some of them, some of us have experienced that. And that's not what we had in mind, is it? And you've had husbands and wives who had a romance and felt that they could live happily ever after with this person, so they got married. And somewhere along the line, so often is the case, that goes away. Where does it go? What happens to it? And then you have a husband and a wife Screaming at each other, I hate you! I wish I never met you. Why did I marry you? Reminds me of the little story by it was a Jewish stick one time. I think I've told it before, but it comes to mind here. Here was this guy in the cemetery. He's crying and wailing at this grave. And saying, Oh, why did you die? Oh, why did you die? And he went on and on with this, crying and screaming, Why did you die? And somebody comes up and says, Oh, I'm so sorry to see you so upset. Is this someone you really loved? No! Well, who was it? My wife's first husband! <laughs> Why did you die? (laughs) So our deepest hopes and dreams sometimes go south, don't they? And that's sad. Isn't it sad? That what was love and harmony and peace goes away. Well, if we are to ever achieve the kind of relationships with God, with man, our neighbors, our friends, our families. What's the impediment? What goes wrong? What causes love matches to turn into screaming matches? Why does it go away? Why doesn't it stay like you thought it would? Love eternal. I love you for eternity. There's so many songs written about eternity. And how I'll always love you. And then you have just about as many songs written about the divorce. Maybe not quite as many, but nearly. Love gone sour. Love gone wrong. So I'm drinking my life away and taking a whiskey trip. Because it all went away. What happens? What causes that kind of destruction of people who have nothing but affection and deeply loving feelings toward each other. Well, there's an element that causes this. Let's start in Matthew 24. We need to understand what goes wrong. Because we always have such high hopes. And then they get dashed. Matthew 24, he's talking about terrible things that are happening in the end time here. And he talks about false prophets arising. But in verse 12, is a very key statement. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So, here was love, here was good feeling, here was harmony, here was unity, and because of iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. Cold love, or in that sense then, lack of love, is what causes the animosity and the put-downs and the hurt and the anger that people begin to feel for one another. Iniquity is essentially the same word as sin. What is sin? First John three four Sin is the breaking of the law of God. So if love diminishes and goes away, it is because sin or iniquity occur. So, if we want love, it would then appear that we need to get rid of sin, which is what these days are about. Now, maybe we don't think of it in the way that I've been describing here. We think of sins, and we think of the Ten Commandments, and we think that if we break those in that sin, and that could cost us eternal life. And that is true. So we work at putting sin out. But perhaps we don't think of the equation properly sometimes because our desire to put the sin out is not as great as perhaps it ought to be. And there's reasons for that. We'll get to that. Now, the transgression of the law is sin. And it is sin or iniquity that causes love to wax cold. So what we're doing when we sin is we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We are creating conditions that don't produce love. I've talked to my one of my sons recently uh, several times and went to see him. And he had gotten into a religion way off the path, kind of a Protestant weird religion with a weird pastor. And he's recovering from it. He started keeping the Sabbath and the holy days again and is trying to get squared away. But he said to me, Dad, I am only going to go where I see love. People can t- claim to have right doctrine. People can claim to be Christian. People can be claim to be the true church of God. But he says, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what the doctrine is unless I see love between the people. That's interesting. We just read in John 13... Passover evening, I think verse 34. Uh, Oh, I'm in 12, that won't work. Let's go to verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say to you, We're not going to be together. So here's what I have to say to you. A new commandment I give to you. Now this is the talk he gave them just before he was taken captive to be persecuted and die. And he says here's a new commandment. As opposed to, in that sense, the Ten Commandments which we think of when we think of putting sin out of our lives. But here is the new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now they were attracted to him. They looked to him because he loved them and he treated them with love and respect and kindness. And that was what he expected of them to love each other in the same way that he had loved them. Verse 35, By this shall all know, men is not in the Greek, shall all know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now that is not what my son said. He didn't turn back here and read this to me. But, in essence, that's exactly what he said. I will not go anywhere, I do not see love, no matter what the doctrine, no matter what, if I don't see love. So, he was expressing what Christ had said to his disciples here. This is how all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. It's the most important thing. We read that in First Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. So that's just the greatest thing there is. The most important thing. And it's the thing that even we unknowingly, perhaps as children, as we started growing up. We dreamed of loving conditions. We dreamed of happy marriages, as I said. That's the thing we really wanted. And yet, it is so elusive, is it not? So hard to find and so hard to keep. People get on these dating services and they're all looking for the same thing. They're all looking for love. They're all looking for happiness and closeness, and security, and all the things that go with a loving relationship when they get on those. And they maybe meet someone online that they begin to have a bit of a feeling and a chemistry for. And then they decide to get together. And it goes pretty well for a little while. And then, oh, that was kind of selfish. Oh, boy, you sure seem sold on yourself. Oh, you think of yourself. Oh, why are you saying that to me? You're abusing me. And on and on it goes, and it isn't very long until they realize I guess I'll get her back, get her back, get, can't talk. I better get back on the internet and find somebody more suited. So they go through this over and over and over and over again trying to find the kind of relationship that they're all looking for and can't find. Because people have problems. And people fall short of being able to love the way we need to love. So Christ was selfless and he loved them As much as he loved himself. Now that must have been difficult for him in some ways because he never did anything wrong. He didn't think selfishly, he didn't abuse anybody in word or in deed. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet, here were people who were doing stuff wrong every day. Thinking wrong, bad attitudes, all kinds of things. And here he was, needing to, having to love them as much as he loved himself. God is love. He, by nature, is love. He, by nature, thinks of others instead of self. we're just the opposite. We think of ourselves instead of others, naturally. It comes to us. It's so easy to have self-love or self-concern or self-perpetuation or self in any matter, self-righteousness. Those come so easy to human beings. It struck me how he put that. I'm not going anywhere unless I see love there. Number one thing he's looking for. Well, what is love? This is the love of God that you keep the commandments. 1 John five three. So if he's looking for love, he's got to be looking for commandment keepers. There was a movie. What was it? I can't remember the name of it. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Because people don't keep the commandments. And when they don't keep the commandments, they fall short of love because they're thinking of self first. And when you think of self first, it excludes someone else. And the degree to which you put self first is the degree to which you exclude others. Now, we're all a mix in there somewhere, because we do think of self, and we often put self ahead of someone else. So, we're a mixture of love and hate, if you will, because we try to keep the commandments, and yet we see a law working in us that leads us the wrong way. That which destroys love instead of makes love. And if we're going to have love, we have to keep the commandments. See, let's go to uh, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Pick it up in verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You are to love God with every fiber of your being, to develop a close relationship with him. When we think of love with another human being, male and female, for instance, in marriage, we want somebody that we can feel we love with all our heart. Heart, mind, body, and soul, we'll say. That's the way we want to love someone and have them love us. And that's the relationship that we're to have with God. We're to love Him above any and every. Everything, with every fiber of our being, we're to love God. No bad feelings, no insecurity, no lack of hope, no lack of confidence. We should feel the warm glow of a close relationship with God at all times. Now, that's a hard goal to reach. And Paul said that he struggled with it. But if we dream of that when we're young with another human being, why couldn't it be that way with God? Who created us? Who created the other human being, whoever it might be, that is that knight in shining armor that's supposed to carry you away and love you forever? He's the one that started all this. He's the one that created it all. He's the one that created everything we do with each other. What what did I hear when I was a kid that Eskimos just touched noses, they didn't kiss, they just touched noses. (laughs) And I think, well, okay, if that's what does it for you, touch noses. Maybe they just haven't tried kissing. You know? Maybe they just haven't tried it. They never got past nose touching. Something wrong with that. God's the one that created all that. He, he put all the nerves in your mouth, in your hands, everywhere, your whole body. He put all those nerves there. And He made everything to work together between husband and wife, to have love and closeness and children, and all that goes with a warm, loving relationship. And people start out with that and have three, four kids, and then somebody cheats or whatever, and then there's hate and divorce. Why? Adultery. Sin. And it destroys that which people thought they had. But how does that happen? Well, they get to work in with someone, they get to know them, or they see somebody that's attractive, or they get to know them a little bit and And first thing you know, they begin to have some feelings. And suddenly it doesn't feel like sin. It feels wonderful. Oh, this can't be sin. It feels so right. There's songs about that. It feels so right. It seems so right. It couldn't be sin. Love is just a sin away was that one song. Huh? That's the way people think. Oh, I've got to have that. Love is just a sin away. The devil's after me, and I think I'm giving in. No. A sin puts love away. (laughs) Love is there, maybe, and sin destroys it. Now, they think if I just have that person, oh, that will be love, because things aren't going so good at home, so this will fix it. Well, when their mate finds out, it fixes it, all right. It fixes it. Never to be repaired, probably. Maybe in some outside cases, but never completely healed. It just doesn't happen. I guess what I'm trying to do is get you to not like sin. Because sin is what takes away pleasure, and happiness, and joy, and peace. It takes it away. It destroys it. He says here, Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, everything. This is the first and great commandment. This is the key to joy and happiness. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As much as. You don't have to love them more, but you've got to come to the point that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal. There's only two commandments love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's what it is all about. There's nothing in the law, there's nothing in the prophets any different than that statement right there. That's what the prophets were written about, is because we did not love. We sinned, and that caused loving relationships to be destroyed. Between God and man, and between man and man. So, God sent prophets to say, hey... You don't love each other anymore. And here's why. Here's why. You're sinning. Now quit sinning and I'll love you. Quit sinning and you'll love each other. Keep sinning and the hate's going to continue. That's all the law and the prophets are about. That's the whole subject. That's everything. Anything that violates. Our relationship with God and feeling nothing but love toward Him and anything that violates us feeling as good toward our neighbor as we do toward ourselves is sin. It violates those relationships, see. Sin is something we do because we don't love enough and we love what we'd like to do or we love what we'd like to think rather than what God tells us to think, and that is on the things that are good and right. Philippians 4.8 again, if you will. To think on the good, to think on the love, to think on positive things. But what do we do? We think on negative. We think on somebody else's sin. We think on somebody else's lack of perfection. We think on somebody else's personality problem. We think on all kinds of bad things. And what does that do? It destroys our relationship with people, and it destroys our relationship with God. Because if you can't get along with people, you can't get along with God. If you can't forgive people... God won't forgive you. It's all that simple. Love is created by the removal of sin. Repentance from sin. Because sin is what destroys our relationships. It's very simple. Anything that violates close relationships is sin. Yes, it's the breaking of the law. But it is breaking the law of God that causes rifts in relationships. Let's go to Isaiah 59 and see that. Isaiah 59. This is one you probably have memorized. I certainly have had it for decades memorized. Isaiah 59. Behold, the Eternal's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. He's not suffering from short arm, where he can't reach out and help us and save us. Neither his ear heavy that it can't hear. His ear isn't so heavy, it just folds over and shuts itself, and he can't hear out of it. That isn't a problem. So what is the problem then? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It isn't that he's deaf, but it is our sins and iniquities that separate us. Well, what does separation do? It destroys the relationship. Some people in marriages try it. Well, let's have a trial separation. Let's see if we can both survive and get along better without each other for a while. I'm sick and tired of you, and you're sick and tired of me. Let's separate for a while. Let's don't divorce. Maybe things can get better. I remember a Merle Haggard song. Let's go down to Florida like we used to do and rent that room we used to go to and listen to those songs and dance the way we used to. And if we're not back in love by Monday, we can go our separate ways. We're going to make one last trip to try to fall in love again. And if it doesn't happen by Monday, we might as well forget it. You going to solve it that quickly? See, it's not just emotion. It's not just feelings. It is a way of living that causes close feelings, that causes feelings of love. It is disobeying principles and not living and thinking correctly that pulls us apart and causes us to wonder if we could get back in love by Monday. Or whatever. But you can't do it that easily. Oh, you might restore a little bit of feeling or emotion if you have a nice dinner and get drunk and can dance in the bedroom. You might. But if you don't change the way you're thinking and living, what got you there in the first place isn't going to get fixed that quickly. you got to fix some other things. So he says, "...your iniquities have separated between you and your God." and hid his face so that he will not hear you. Now, isn't that what he said in Revelation 3? You haven't been as loving and as attentive to me and my ways. You haven't loved me with every fiber of your being, with heat, with emotion. And I can't live in a lukewarm relationship. Hey, how are you? Eh, okay. A lot of people live that way. He do not want to be that way. He wants heat and fervency throughout eternity. A close, intimate relationship. That's somewhat what he had with John the Apostle. They were close enough in thought and emotion that John could lay against his chest, and they were both perfectly comfortable with that, even though there was nothing wrong with the kind of love they had. But you got to think alike, and that's what you look for, isn't it? Somebody that thinks like you do. You don't want to live with somebody that thinks totally different than you do. You like somebody that you're compatible with. And hopefully, that compatibility comes from thinking alike and thinking good, not thinking bad. If you're somebody that you think thinks bad, you don't stay with them very long. On to the next. And we have to make changes. That's why God says to repent when we learn the truth. We have to what is repenting it is changing your whole way of thinking I've been thinking of self I've been thinking of what I want I've been thinking about money I've been thinking about sex I've been thinking about murder I've been thinking about all kinds of things or nothing but alcohol or nothing but drugs That's all I think about So it begins to teach you and your mind begins to change and you begin to repent Which means change. You're thinking. Because it is those iniquities that have ruined the relationship. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. When a couple starts lying to each other, their relationship starts going downhill. Because... That destroys trust. And then destroying trust destroys security. And destroying security means insecurity. And nobody likes to feel insecure, do they? Remember how it was when you're first in love, maybe in first married, and you felt so secure in each other's arms. I love you, and love you love me, and we have this Bond of security between us. Of unconditional love. We both love each other with all our hearts, and it's not conditional. Or at least we think it's not. But then sin occurs somewhere, and suddenly the conditions change. Then it becomes conditional instead of unconditional. Because as long as that kind of activity is going on, whatever it is that's negative, it works on the relationship and it gets worse and worse. And as the conditions change, pretty soon it's not only not unconditional love, it's not even conditional love, it's anger and hatred and frustration. And Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. And you know, that would not happen if it were not for sin. So, if you have a less than loving relationship that you dreamed about, it's because sin somehow, somewhere, some way is involved. Because sin is what destroys closeness. If you can't get along... Start looking for sin. Find it. Get rid of it. Whatever is selfish. Whatever is ungodly. Whatever is negative instead of positive. In your thinking, or your mate's thinking, or in a friend's thinking, or in a brother's, in the church's thinking. What is causing the problem? Matthew 24. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. Because iniquity is in a marriage, love waxes cold. If you're experiencing difficulties, it's because there's some sin somewhere, some way, that's creating disharmony and disunity. If a church, congregation, can't get along, there is sin somewhere. that's causing that disharmony. Because apart from sin, there is love. Let's go to 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4. I know it's back here. John 4, verse 18. We know that whosoever is begotten of God sins not. They don't live a life of sin. They get sin out. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one touches him not. I'm in five, saying basically the same thing. But let's go back to 4.18 where I was thought I was headed. He says, there is no fear in love. Is there any fear in your relationship of the way a mate will react? The way a friend will react? The way God will react? Is there fear there of how God might react to you and what you're thinking and doing? (laughs) He said, in love, there is no fear. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Fear is not fun. He that fears is not made perfect in love. So, once we achieve perfect love, which is what we're after, there will be no fear. What is insecurity? (coughs) It's fear. Fear of being dumped, fear of being mistreated, fear of not having the love there that you want and need. <laughs> the perfect love is what? It is perfect obedience. This is the love of God that you keep the commandments. That's here in chapter 5, verse 3. I already quoted it. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. But (coughs) if we look at life and we look at God's commandments, we think they're grievous, that they're difficult, that they're not good. that's the way the whole Protestant world looks at the commandments of God. They're evil. They're not good. Get away from the law. What's our problem? What's our problem in that case? I was going to continue on in in Isaiah 59, and maybe it will, maybe it won't go back there, but let's go to uh, Hebrews 11 with that thought in mind. This is about the faithful ones through history before the New Testament and what they went through, their lives, their loves, their faith. Let's go down to Moses in uh, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, when he was of age as he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, he had grown up in Pharaoh's court Pharaoh's daughter had pulled him out of the bulrushes and she treated him with all kinds of love. She just thought Moses was the cat's meow. So she raised him there with every benefit that you could have in a royal court. I mean, Pharaoh was the jet set of the day. Pharaoh and his family were everything to Everybody. They were the elites, they were the uh, celebrities, they were the ones that everybody looked to, and they had everything physically that was possible that people could enjoy. That's the way he grew up. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He departed from that royal court and gave it all up choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The life that he lived in Pharaoh's court embodied all the pleasures that you might dream of, hope, or want. What do our own politicians do? They have dreams, thoughts, all kinds of thoughts about all the things that might be fun and pleasurable. So they have a Epstein island out there somewhere where they can go out and molest boys and girls. Because to them, that is pleasure. That's what they think of as pleasurable. Now you don't, I suppose. You have your own idea of what pleasure is. But this world is full of things that are there that please the senses. That's the point. Those politicians that go to Jeffreys Island, or did, now they'll go somewhere else, or find a new manager for it, or whatever. They're not going to repent. They keep doing. But whatever a person finds pleasurable... And sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin can be fun until you get caught. Sin can be fun until you get diseased. Sin can be fun till you drink so much you spoil your liver and die in abject pain. Sin can be fun until you get diabetes from too much sweets and sugar and junk. And then life isn't much fun anymore. Temporary pleasures of sin. Let's go to Romans 1. He talks about here people who saw the creation of God and the beauty of it, and then they decided that they would worship the creation instead of the creator. And they would find pleasure in that which is created, whether it be a tree or a squirrel or a girl. They would find pleasure in the things that had been created. And they exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible to the corruptible. Changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creation, Mother Gaia. And their own feelings, their own desires, their own pleasures. The things that sounded like they would be fun to do. What do teenagers decide is fun to do? Just out in the world, out where you and I perhaps used to be. They decide they're going to have a good time on Saturday night. What do they do? Well, they decide that they'll all go in the house and they'll sit down and play board games with dad and mom, and have some milk and cookies. That's generally the way it is out in the world, isn't it? Or do they decide if they're going to have a good time on Saturday night, they finagle some way to get hold of a car, and then they go out and find some way to get a hold of some booze, or some drugs, or whatever pleases them that sounds like it would be fun. And then they go to the drive-in movie, or used to. They don't have those much anymore. And then, first thing you know, there's steam all over the car windows because they're in there hugging and a kissing and a making heat. And that's fun on a Saturday night. That's the good old American way, isn't it? Get in the car and go to the drive-in and... Play around, get drunk, puke, and then wonder if this was much fun after all. Much of what we think would be fun is not what brings peace and love and happiness and joy eternally. Verse 28, because they didn't like to keep God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, or that is, which are not good or right and proper, but being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder and hate, debate, fighting, arguing, deceit, lying, doing things and covering them up, malignity, or malignity, like cancer that eats away at personalities and marriages, whisperers, talking behind each other's backs, telling things of gossip, not good things, but bad things they've either seen heard, or dreamed up, or decided were true. Backbiters, they don't generally chew you out to your face. They'll chew you out to your back. Isn't this what we experience and see in human beings? Haters of God, if you're not keeping His commandments... In love, then you hate Him to whatever degree you're sinning. And your relationship with Him is not good because He will not hear you or listen to you because your iniquity has cut you off from Him. <clears throat> Going on, despiteful, uh, willing to put other people down, proud, full of self, boasters, You ever come across somebody that all they want to talk about is themselves? I've heard women say that. Yeah, I went out with so-and-so and the only thing he talked about all night was himself. She didn't want to go out with him anymore. Wasn't interested in anything but himself. Inventors of evil things lie on their bed, whatever, and dream up evil things. Think of evil things. Disobedient to parents, that's a fun thing, isn't it? That builds love and unity, puts parent and child at odds with each other. They can't get along and they fight and argue and have trouble. Without understanding, if all you can think about is drugs or booze or the opposite sex or money or these things that you think will make you happy, uh, you don't have any understanding. You just don't know what brings happiness and what doesn't. People will say that. Well, Boy, I just don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong. We just can't get along. Can't have harmony and peace and love. Well, they're not looking for sin. They're just saying, I don't understand. Covenant breakers can't keep their word. You can't trust them. Without natural affection, got all kinds of affection, but it isn't the right kind. Implacable, that is, not going to change. Unmerciful, their own lives are so twisted and upside down and backward that they can't have mercy on anybody else because they're so miserable themselves. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only they do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, it's talked about all these things up here that cause disharmony and loss of love, and anger and hate and frustration. And those things are sin because they violate the relationship with God and with man. Because they're against your neighbor. They're not there as loving things. You don't like any of this stuff we just read done to you, do you? None of it. You don't like any of that. But you're willing to do it to somebody else. I don't want you touching my wife, but hmm, that'd be kind of fun to touch yours. You know? Do we love each other as ourselves? Or do we not? And you know, you don't even have to be doing this stuff up here that we just read, right? To make yourself miserable. All you have to do is take pleasure in them that are doing those things. Now, how is that manifest? It's manifest in movies. It's manifest in music. It's manifest in books. It's manifest on the internet, because what are movies about? Usually about sin in some form. Violence, murder, uh, fornication, adultery, lying, stealing, robbing banks, whatever. What do they make movies about? That kind of stuff. And if you are living it vicariously, it has an effect on your emotions. It has an effect on your feelings toward others and toward God. The world just before God sent the flood was full of, above all else, violence. Murder and killing left and right. We're getting more and more violent in this age. Where we kill each other and governments kill people and on and on it goes. And what are nearly all the video games about? Violence. Kill, 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 kill. That's about all they are. Kill, kill, kill. Destroy. Destroy whatever is. The video games are about blowing things up and blowing people up and blowing weird creatures up. And zombies. And It's about destruction. It's about destroying. Who is the destroyer? Satan, the devil. So when you play video games that have to do with violence or have to do with the misuse of sex, you're living it vicariously. You're sinning in your mind, if not with your hands. What's the difference? Didn't Christ say clearly, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, not to lust with the eye or the hand? Get rid of it. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her plagues and her sins, but get away from it. So we move to the wilderness, expecting God to take care of us, and through the internet and the TV, we bring the sin in. That's what he says here. We're not supposed to be watching sin, taking pleasure in them that do these sins. Why do you watch TV? Why do you play video games? Because you enjoy it, right? If you didn't enjoy it, you wouldn't do it. So if you're enjoying it, you're taking pleasure in others doing that. And Romans says that's clearly wrong. It destroys relationships. It destroys natural, normal feelings. Oh, so you're not going to go touch a woman. You'll just go to the porn site. And watch other people sin. You're sinning when you do that. You're sinning. Because you're living it vicariously. And we're wishing it were you instead of them. Or taking pleasure in it in some way. Or you wouldn't be doing it. The media can kill you. Do you realize that? The internet, the movies, the books... Can kill you. And they can destroy your marriage. They can destroy your relationship with your kids. And they'll destroy your relationship with God. Maybe I've covered most of the scriptures I had in mind to cover, but... Anything that violates you loving God, the first and great commandment, with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, breaks the law. Because he says that he can't stand us because of our sins. What caused Adam and Eve not to be able to stand God and each other? One sin. Just disobeying one order not to touch one tree. And their relationship with God was destroyed, and their relationship with each other was destroyed. Because they didn't trust each other anymore. They didn't trust God anymore. They accused each other, so they didn't love each other as themselves anymore. It was your fault. No, it was your fault. That started right there as soon as God hit them with it. They began to blame God, and they began to blame each other, and they began to blame the devil. It wasn't their fault. Now, if your relationships with God, and your relationships with husband and wife and children, your relationships with brethren in the church are less than good, then there is sin somewhere. You cannot have godly relationships that include include sin. And that love will be destroyed based on the amount of sin. I guess what I'm trying to get us to grasp is Why it's important that we get rid of sin. It's important because it destroys our relationships with God and man. So, I don't want us to approach it, and God doesn't, just from the standpoint of, here's the law, keep the law, and you won't go to hell, you'll go to heaven, or into the kingdom of God. No, it's not like that. It's full of emotion. It's full of everything we are. Because we always wanted, from childhood until today, to be in loving, kind, sweet relationships, without anger, without frustration, without insecurity, without hate, without all those negative things. And here we find ourselves today with a mixture of those things, And even we as Christians are a mixture of those things because we still sin to one degree or another and we do not yet have perfect love which casts out fear. We should be in awe in that kind of fear of God but not in fear that we're going to be punished, that we're not going to make it into the kingdom That fear comes because we know we're not keeping the law the way we should. And we don't have the kind of love for God and the kind of love for each other that we need and want. And sin is always the culprit, invariably. Perfect obedience is perfect love. Anything less than that is some degree of unhappiness. So let's not just look at it as, I'm here this week to put sin out. Gotta get rid of every crumb in the house. Gotta get rid of sin. No. We're here to improve relationships. We're here to get rid of those things that destroy relationships. And that's what sin and iniquity is. It's what destroys what we want. So let's do ourselves a favor and get rid of that which destroys us and destroys our relationships. Put sin out. Do yourself a favor. And do everybody else a favor. And do God a favor who can, as He sees you get away from sin, turn to you and give you the kind of love that he has for you but can't express because he can't handle what we are be something he can handle be something he can want to give love and hope and forgiveness and grace to that's all we're trying to do is quit being an enemy of ourselves And love. And then people will look at us and say, Those must be God's disciples. They love one another. They might be attracted to be with us if they saw that kind of love.